the show with me, Dan, and my guest, Suzanne. How are you doing, Suzanne? I'm good, thanks, Dan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I think you're the first guest who has a rhyming name, so that's, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- it's actually been a while since I last released um, a podcast episode. Um, so yeah, I think it's been like a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks or something. Um, but it's good good to get back into it again. And uh, okay. yeah, I think I'll just introduce sort of how I know you and, and sort of what we're sort of going to be talking about. Um, but yeah, so I know Suzanne because uh, she's my dad's wife and I've known her for about four years or so. Um, about that I think yeah yeah um and yeah um Suzanne approached me with this subject which I thought was a really really good good idea um for a subject um and yeah so so basically it, it's sort of around this is where the the, the doom and gloom sound effects come in the crash <laughs> of lightning uh it's all around the sunny subject of death um so, <laughs> so at this point I think people will either go ah oh, no not interested or they'll be like oh no I want to want to hear more so uh but yeah we're going to be talking about death and uh there's a few few reasons behind that but maybe I thought it might be a good to bring you in here Suzanne and maybe just sort of introduce sort of a little bit about why why this was a subject you are interested in or are interested in talking about today okay so um I was an undertaker for a year um I have always been really, I suppose, a, a bit of a morbid curiosity around death. I've always been really interested in the human body, in anatomy, what happens to us, uh, what happens to us when we die. It's just a subject that's always fascinated me. Mm. But there's not an awful lot of information out there. Right. Um, it's kind of like a dirty little secret that's swept under the carpet that nobody wants to talk about. Um, and I think that's wrong in a way I, in my opinion I think it should be talked about it people talk about birth all the time why not talk about death why not you know explore that subject and were, were you um, interested in death before you had the job yeah absolutely I mean I lost the first loss I suffered was at the age of 20 when I lost my father really suddenly he was 50 um, and was just found dead of a heart attack at home and that was kind of my first real loss of anybody. Yeah. The, the first experience I'd, I'd ever had around death. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously it was devastating and, and ripped our family apart. But it was always the dirty secret that wasn't talked about. You know, nobody ever spoke about it. Um, what, in your family? They just It just wasn't talked about? Yeah, it was just... I think everyone was so afraid that, you know, we'd upset mom or all those memories would come back. And I found that really strange. I found that I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to talk about the physical experience of finding my dad and all what happened afterwards. But there was nobody to talk to about it. Were they like like avoiding talking about him or just just sort of the the death part of it? I think in the early days it was both. Mm. Um and then I suppose, yeah, it was just a really, people think you're morbid and you're weird if you want to rake over that kind of stuff. And, and you know, my mum was in a very bad place. She was only 45. So she was in a very bad way. So I suppose there was that kind of preservation um, around it. Nobody wanted to, to be the person that would talk about it 
around mum, I suppose. So it just never happened. Um, so what, what? I think as sorry, carry on. Sorry. I was going to say I think as the years went by, obviously we talk about my dad all the time now, and and we did, you know, as as time went by, but no one really talks about his death and what happened. So what what sort of conversations did you want to have, and and why why did you think they would have been important? Do you know at that time I'm not I'm not even sure, Dan. It was, I suppose. I suppose sharing the emotions of that moment, you know, what did you think about that? What what do you think mum felt? What do you think my younger brother and sister felt about that? And not really knowing the physical things that happened to dad once he was taken away from the house. Mm. That to me really, really bothered me. But I didn't feel like I could ask because people would think I was weird. Right. But, you know, I wanted to know what happened to my dad. He was just whisked out of the house and... We didn't, you know, we didn't see him again until he was at the funeral home and nobody really spoke about what happened in between that time. Why do you think that is? Why, I mean, I don't know if you can just comment on why it might be your family didn't talk about it or, or maybe society at large, but why, why do you think there is this hesitation and sort of, like you say, a label of weirdness? and? Yeah, I, I think it's the unknown. I think people... I think people think you're weird, you're morbid, you're there's something wrong with you. Why why do you want to why do you want to know about that? Why do you need to know about that? I mean, my daughter, you mentioned it to her, and she, it's disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Why do you want to do that job? It's disgusting. And when I dig a bit deeper and say, what's disgusting? What what about somebody dying is disgusting? Well, what happens to them? And I and I try and say to her, well. If that was Nanny that had died, would Nanny suddenly become disgusting? Or is she still Nanny? Just, mm. you know, a dead Nanny. Yeah. What makes it so disgusting? Oh, it's just the physical thing of what happens. Why do you want to be around that? Why do you want to know about that? Why do you want anything to do with that? And you, I found there's kind of two camps on this. There's the people that say, I don't want to know anything. Don't tell me. It's disgusting. I don't want to know anything about it. I don't, I don't need to know any of that. And then there's the people that go, oh, really? Mm. So what happens? Mm. Or, or then there's the kind of people in between that say, oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But when you die, what, but just tell me, oh, no, I don't want to know. Right, but yeah. what happens to this? So there's kind of that, there is that curiosity there, but they feel it's almost wrong to, to voice it. Yeah. I think it's just a taboo subject for some reason. I don't know why. I don't understand it, but um, and I never have done, but I, it definitely is a taboo subject. Yeah. People sort of had this this fascination with it, and it's almost like a bit of shame, isn't it? That people, like, they, they clearly, some people want to talk about it, but they feel ashamed to even talk about it. Like, like you're saying, yeah, this sort absolutely. of weird thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, and... And people that I used to deal with in the funeral industry, you know, families that I used to deal with were the same. There were two distinct camps. The one camp that didn't want to know anything. Let's just get these arrangements done. I don't want to know anything. And then the camp that really wanted to know everything. So do you think you've always been in the camp of wanting to know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can remember going to see my dad in the Chapel of Rest. And desperately, and this sounds really creepy and really weird, but desperately wanting to see under his shirt as to what had happened to him because I knew he'd had a post-mortem. Right. And desperately, I, I I couldn't bring myself to do it, but I can remember desperately wanting to know. 
what had happened to him, what had they done to him. So, so very, what, very what was that fascination then? Because I can imagine that fascination coming from many different angles. You know, there's people who want to go into a medical profession and, or are interested in the medical profession and would have that fascination because they, they want to, they're interested in the human body, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. For you, was it, was it because it was an emotional thing of like someone else has been, someone's been touching your dad and you want to know what happens before he goes in the ground or cremated or whatever? Like, do you know what? Yeah. I think it was a bit of both. Like I say, I've always been really interested in the human body. It fascinates me, always has done from an early age. Uh, Never wanted to go into anything medical, mind you, but just was always fascinated with how the body works, how amazing it is, you know, the things that can go wrong with it, the things that it does that are just miraculous. So there was a bit of that, but there was also, that's my dad. What, Mm. What have you done to him? What, what's somebody done to him? It was just, yeah, just a weird curiousness, I suppose. Just, I'm not sure that my sister felt the same. Um, but again, we never had that conversation. It mm. just didn't come up. I never, I never felt like I could ask the funeral director. It just wasn't something I ever felt was right. It felt very wrong. Do you do you think it's a respect thing? Do you think some people think that if you were to 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 look at that stuff, it's almost like out of respect you don't you don't go there type thing i think at that time i thought that now i I don't think that at all right but i think possibly at that time there may have been a little bit of that yeah because i also think at that time i was on the cusp of i always believed in god and heaven and afterlife but when my dad passed away that changed completely it Mm. was almost like a switch went off right so possibly around that time I was kind of mm, not sure about my faith and what that meant so yeah but now absolutely not I, I, it wouldn't bother me at all so what what changed for you then what from when, when my dad died why yeah. I lost my faith yeah so I, what, I so can what... remember remember the moment so clearly um there was a, a church that I was quite uh, um, associated with a particular vicar that I was quite friendly with um, and we decided we would use this church to carry out my dad's funeral and this particular vicar. And we went for the meeting with the vicar. And I said, why, why my dad? Why was my dad taken? He's 50. He has um, young children aged 10 and me and my sister. Why, why did God take my dad? And he said, um, God only takes the good one. He, he wants the good ones for himself. <laughs> And I remember, I remember actually not just thinking, I remember saying to him, well, what a selfish God your God is. Yeah. That's not my God. And from that moment on, that was it. Yeah. That was it. My whole view around death, uh, faith, belief, afterlife, heaven, hell, just changed completely. So what in that instant, what was your faith? So I was baptised Catholic. Um, I didn't, we didn't particularly go to church. My mum was uh, a Catholic. My grandmother was a staunch Catholic. Um, My mum went to a convent school, but we weren't real practising Catholics. We didn't go to church every Sunday. We went to church on special occasions. But I always kind of believed in God. Um, I was never really into the Bible. You know, I couldn't tell you chapters of the Bible, verses of the Bible. I wasn't that religious. But there was always a belief there. 
that yeah. people died, they went to heaven. There was a God. You did, you were good in your life, and good things happened to you when you died. That was kind of my belief. I, I suppose what most people, most Christians believe, you know, non-practicing Christians mm, like or Catholics or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just mo- what what most people kind of yeah believe. Yeah. That there's something after you die, and if you're good, you know, you're rewarded for that. So how old were you? I was 20. So were you were you already sort of sort of having doubts and this was a like final straw or was it quite a sudden No, it was a a sudden a sudden almost like a switch went off. Yeah. And I never it never went back on again. I can remember sitting in the church on the day of my dad's funeral just thinking what a load of rubbish this is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Did you, yeah. did, was it a consideration of like altering your faith? I'm just thinking from a, a devil's advocate point of view of uh, a religious person listening and say, oh, well, you know, the priest, that was the wrong thing for the priest to say. And, you know, um, yeah. you can alter your faith to make it, you know, work for you. Have you yeah. ever thought that since or anything like that? No, and this wasn't even a Catholic priest. Right. This was um, a Church of England church. Um and I, I just, that was it. I just didn't believe in anything anymore. Mm. I became very pragmatic, very black and white, uh, very philosophical. Just, you know, just it's just what it, it is, what it is. Mm. You die and that's it. And that got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as I as I as I grew and as more people died around me, which is what naturally happens. Obviously, as you get older, you lose more people. So but yeah, that, do, do you that's. Think- do you think it's like, do you think you've lost any sort of uh, wonder um, and sort of, um, uh, I guess, I guess uh, again, sort of playing devil's advocate, which is probably the wrong term to describe <laughs> someone who's religious, isn't yeah. it? Um, God's advocate, let's go with that. That's a lot more fitting. Um, to play God's advocate, uh, you know, if you're, where was it going? Um Oh, just completely lost it. Uh, we were t- we were talking about this progression of of faith and losing faith. And yeah. You said, Do you think you've lost more? Yeah. So, mm. <laughs> completely. This has happened a few <laughs> times in different episodes. <laughs> I just go off a cliff. See, um, see what a difficult <laughs> subject it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so. So around then you you basically just like were it was just like no more um yeah it switched off and then with every death afterwards it just compounded what i already knew yeah so that, do you, oh, um, i think i know what i was going to say so was it did you was there like a a loss in sort of this this sort of wonder and this sort of feeling of like acceptance and a, religious people would sort of would feel you know it's it's a, a wonderful thing to think that you're gonna, you know, see your family again, and you know, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, again, playing God's advocate or whatever. It's a horrible yeah. thought to think that you're just, it's the end, and then you know, the lights shut off, and that's it. And whereas, you know, see, if you believe in for, for me, yeah, the horrible thought is that there's something else. Right. I cannot bear. I can't bear the thought that there are people that I've loved and known that are looking at me every day and almost passing judgment on your life because that's kind of what people say and do oh 
oh, your dad would turn in his grave if he knew you were doing that, or, oh, it's right. what they would have wanted. They'd be so proud of you. Mm. Oh, your dad will be so proud of you now. I can't bear the thought of that. That fills me with absolute horror. Was that? Just that whole, that they are somewhere else and not here. Right. And that living in, that waiting, you know what I mean? That kind of limbo land of somebody waiting and passing judgment on you and watching you, but you, you can't see them and you can't be with them or touch them. or uh, That to me is abhorrent. I can't bear the thought of that. Mm. Do you think it could be a comfort if you were dying or something that you'd know that you'd see them soon or something like that? No, I don't have those feelings anymore. And I think working in the industry has, I mean, no, I have very, very strong views about death and dying and they're not conventional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so, so I, sorry, carry on. I, I think a lot of people who work in the industry probably share my views. Yeah, so uh, did you come across anyone who was had faith or was particularly no. religious? No. No. I mean, uh, I suppose a lot of them, you have to put on a facade that you do. Mm. So when you're dealing with families, you nobody wants to really think that that's the end. So, you know, I'd be having discussions with family and they'd say, oh, you know, I know he's lying here, but this isn't him. I know he's looking down on us and he would really like what you've done. And to me, I just think, oh, my God, <laughs> my goodness, you know that I can't comprehend that. I can't. But you, you can, you know, you can't ever let your feelings come in. So it's not your mm. emotion. It's not your grief. It's not your belief. So everybody in front of family and also to a certain degree around deceased are very respectful. Um, yeah. And I suppose almost have a facade of they're somewhere else. Mm. Um, but whether a lot of them believe it or not is a, is a different matter. So I would go in in the morning into the mortuary and morning, ladies and gentlemen, how are we all today? <laughs> Just because yeah. <laughs> it felt the right thing to do when yeah. there's, I don't know, 10 bodies there. It, it feels very weird to just walk in and ignore these people that all had a personality, all had a life that all means something to somebody. Yeah. The moment they become a piece of meat is the mo moment you shouldn't really do that job anymore. Right, right. So although I would talk to them, it wasn't because I believed that they were looking down on me and, yeah, thinking, oh, she's nice, she's looking after me. It wasn't that at all. It was just the kind of natural thing to do. Yeah, like to get you through the day type thing. Yeah. Is there is there parts of a typical funeral service that you think is just a load of just, yeah, just rubbish? Like, do, do you just think? It's... All of it, Daniel. Really? <laughs> all of it, yeah. Uh, for me, I believe that funerals are for the living; they're not for the dead. Mm. Um, so, so because, sorry, because that person isn't there. Mm. That they can't. In in my opinion, in my view, in my beliefs, they can't see what's going on. They're gone. There's mm. nothing. It's only for the people that are living. So, what what would you want your funeral to be? 
I've had lengthy discussions <laughs> <laughs> with Hannah and your dad, and I've said I I don't care because I'm not going to be here. Yeah. So it makes no odds to me. You can put me out with the bins, <laughs> throw me over the side of a ship. <laughs> I don't care because I won't know. Yeah. So it it doesn't bother me. And but all I've said is I wouldn't want you to waste a load of money on a funeral. Right. But you do whatever you find comfort in. So whatever brings you comfort is what you should do. So if you want a horse-drawn carriage, you know, if you want a 10-gun salute, you do it. It's, it's not about me at that point. I'm gone. It's not about me. It's so, what you want so from that day. Touch wood. Um, if someone close to you died and you were had the the task of doing the funeral and it and they had the, mm-hmm. they had the same thing as you let's say let's say it's mm-hmm. um just you in reverse and they're like whatever you want what would you do for someone you you truly love like what do like do you feel like there's because obviously you wouldn't put someone in the bin um but like do you what level of sort of like i don't know respect or um care or all these sort of things would you have with with someone if, if it was really up to you type thing well i think that that's a very different thing because of other family members right so um and that that's a difficulty isn't it because mm. i know that i know hannah knows my wishes mm. but god forbid if i were to die before my mum or my siblings they would have a very different view on that yeah and it it isn't right for one person to steamroll another. Um, so it's almost like the person with the strongest views wins out, really. And that is usually what happens when people arrange funerals. I mean, I've had brawling families, and I mean physically brawling families. Wow. Over a funeral arrangement. Yeah. And it brings out the absolute worst in people it brings out the best but it brings out the absolute worst in people like weddings and i oh my god and i sit there and think what are you doing this person's dead they don't know they don't care let's just get this done but obviously you can't you 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 can't you have to facilitate everybody's needs around the table yeah Um, it's a very difficult job it's Funerals are a really touchy subject. You know, I'd like to think I, you know, God forbid your dad, I'd like to think I know your dad's wishes. Mm. I'd like to think that if your dad knew he was passing away, he would write something down as to his wishes. And and that would be respected and honoured, of course. Mm. I think it's completely wrong to go against somebody's wishes. But it that's not for me. Yeah. So I mean, that's not what I want. You don't have to go into his wishes. I'd, I'd be really interested, and I'll definitely ask him at some point. I th- don't think it's something we, you know, we talk about enough, as we said. But no, um, nobody does because it's such a, an awful subject to talk about and so taboo. Does he have a similar view to you? Is he not too fast, or is he has um, he got certain things, or or is it not? Has he not really mentioned there, it? There's certain things that he doesn't want. Um, it to but, be set in a gay strip club. <laughs> he doesn't want to go out with a bin <laughs> but um yeah it's a it's a difficult one isn't it because it wouldn't be entirely you know it's not right for one person to steamroll you know 
somebody's last wishes, is it? I guess that's why it's like having last wishes is so important because Absolutely. it can save a lot of arguments and all that sort of Absolutely. stuff. Um, yeah. It's... I mean, I I know what songs I want. Your dad knows what songs he wants. So I think we're kind of on the same page that there will be some kind of ceremony. Mm. But um, I don't think either of us would want a, a lavish. But like I said, it's for me, it's not about me. Mm. It's not about my wishes. If Hannah or your dad decided they wanted a big lavish funeral, nothing to do with me. But that point is it. I'm I'm gone. Yeah. I won't know. Yeah. So when you when you started at the, had you worked in a similar industry before when you first started at the the funeral home? No. So I was a corporate buyer for most of my life. Most of my working life. So really different. Um, very different very money orientated uh very you know making money for com- for business for companies um and i suppose after losing my dad i became fiercely independent um i suppose very money hungry uh but not necessarily materialistic i think those two things are quite different mm. so um i always believed that money bought you choices not happiness and things and so I was very driven um, as a young adult, you know, in my 20s, um, quite high powered, high flying jobs, earning quite a lot of money, which enabled me to buy my own property on my own at the age of 24, traveled extensively. And while I was young, I loved it. Um, You know, I loved making money, I suppose, and having choices and living a good life. And then I got made redundant. Um, oh, it must be three years ago now. Um, came away with a decent amount of money, uh, sold a property that I made a decent amount of money on and had hence loads of choices. I had enough money not to worry about working for a while. And so kind of didn't for a little while and couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Knew I wanted to work again, but couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And then I was just, Scrolling through a job site, saw a job advertised, thought, oh my God, that sounds interesting. No experience needed, full training given. Hmm, that might be for me. What have I got to lose? So I applied, went through seven stages of interview um, for the princely sum of £9.44 an hour. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which was uh, a shocker to me. But, um, yeah, started from my first minute. I absolutely knew it was what I should be doing. Oh, really? I knew that I should have done it years ago. Just, yeah, just, I kind of, I felt like it's not all about money anymore. I don't want to make money. I don't want to make money to line somebody else's pocket or really mine anymore. I want to do something that makes a difference. Um. So wh- I've done some volunteering for a dementia charity, befriending dementia sufferers, and I just wanted to make a difference mm. um, and felt that sense of satisfaction from doing that job. So what what was the what were the things that struck you like? Because that job, like I can imagine, is literally people's <laughs> nightmares for some people, you know, <laughs> walking Absolutely. into a load of dead bodies, you know. That, Absolutely. That is and there are. Nightmares. 
So what... there are things that I will never forget that will stay with me for a long time. Mm. But I remember my first day walking into the funeral home and I hadn't been in a funeral home since my dad died. Mm. I had no desire to see anybody dead after my dad died. So I've never been in one. And I can remember opening the door and this smell hitting me and thinking, oh, my God, I remember that smell. Oh, wow. And it's such a distinctive smell that mm. I remembered it. And I remember them taking me through to this little office, having a little chat. And then she said, right, OK, we'll give you a tour. We'll start in the mortuary. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to see? And sort of this nervous kind of excitement almost. Yeah. Like, just that curiosity of I'm going to see something that not many people get to see mm. in their life. Um, and we went to walk through the mortuary door and, and somebody said, oh, um, are you taking Suzanne in there on her first day? She said, yeah. She said, oh, be mindful because baby so-and-so is out. And oh, I remember wow. thinking, oh, and my boss turned to me and she said, are you going to be okay with that? There's a baby out. And I kind of said, well, I might as well see the worst I'm going to see first. And then I'm, you know, I'll know whether I can do it or not, won't I? Yeah. I don't want to get six months down the line and then see that and realize it's not for me. Mm. And so we walked in and there was a four-week-old little baby boy wow. being prepared. And that was my first, you know, talk about baptism of fire. Yeah. Um, so what was that? And I, lot, well, I know it's difficult to explain, to describe a feeling, but what, what was he that? He didn't, yeah, he didn't look real. Right. He didn't look real. He was being dressed. He'd had a post-mortem and he was still bleeding a little bit and the lady was dressing him, the lady who was preparing him. And I was watching and thinking, he doesn't really look real. He looked like a little dolly. And she, she put this little hat on him and she picked him up and put him in his casket. And as she picked him up, she kissed him on the head and she said, night, night, sweetheart. And she put him in this little casket. Mm. And I just remember thinking, oh, that's really sweet. But he doesn't look real. And I said to her, does that bother you, you know, what you've had to do to this little baby? And she said, you've got the worst job than I have. She said, because there's no emotion for me here because I didn't know this baby in life. I'll never meet his family. Um, I'll never see the grief behind this baby's death. She said, but you will see all of this and you will also see the emotion behind that from the families. She said, and that's much harder. Mm. So my job was not solely the preparation of the deceased, although there was quite a bit of that. My job was mainly liaising with the families, um, arranging the funerals, looking for the looking after the deceased once they'd been prepared and were resting in our funeral home. Right. So, so you... I thought she explained that quite well, that there was that real detachment for her. Mm. Um, and I did feel that going through. So... I would look at these these people and think, well, they're not my people. I don't know them. I didn't know them in life. I don't. I have no emotional connection with them. I have emotional connections with the family when they're crying and they're grieving, but I'm not upset because of this death, because it's nothing to me. Do you think there has to be a sort of like, like what what it, what do you think it is about you and the way your mind works and the way you've you've grown you know you've you've lived your yeah, life or whatever I, that because some people will walk in there you know they see a dead baby and they see you know 
because you know the way you describe it to the normal person that sounds like an ex- incredibly sad and incredibly affecting thing oh and god and it then... and it yeah i mean i you know i'm not heartless i i mm. i think i'm quite a compassionate caring person i don't you know i have a heart i don't have a swinging brick but i just can very easily separate the two mm. i think is the difference yeah i could i could look at that baby and think oh my god that's awful what must that poor mother and father be going through i'm a, you know a parent myself mm. there is that but there isn't the grief for that infant if you know what i mean mm. it's the grief for the people that are left behind and that's what that i suppose is what hits home to me mm. i don't particularly this sounds awful it's not that i don't care about the person that has died but they're gone there's nothing as far as i'm concerned it's the people that are left behind that's the important part yeah and and it can't be judged I, i'm i'm very interested in the mindset um and not because it it's a, a judgmental thing or because i think it's bad um it's absolutely vital you know doctors need to do it every single day you know and nurses yeah. and they need to you can't get upset about every death you can't no. get upset about every uh you know uh, illness or it's just it's just not possible so we, we need uh, you know people who who can can make that that uh distinction or or, or keep that um separateness or whatever yeah um, i think it's a kind of self-preservation thing for me that i have mm. I, in the year that i was doing the job i only had a lump in my throat once right in the whole time and it wasn't even a particularly sad case it was a very old lady who passed away of natural causes had a brilliant life had a lovely family and her granddaughter brought a letter in for me to put in her coffin and she said to me, I don't mind if you read it. And I wouldn't normally. Um, and as I walked out, she'd, she'd gone and I went out in the chapel to go and put this letter in the coffin. And I, I, I turned the page over <laughs> and the first three lines just floored me. Mm. I just I thought, I can't read this. It's one, it's not really for me to read. And I, I wouldn't have read it had she not given me permission. Mm. But two, it was just so heartbreaking Mm. but not because i felt sad for the lady that had died Mm. it was the people that were left behind that that sadness was for them yeah why why do you think that got you do you know i suppose i think you know maybe my daughter might write that about my mum it was it was a line that says something like there's no sunshine in the world without you nanny And yeah, that that really did get to me. Yeah. And and yet some of the horrific things I've seen don't get to me. Mm. And another, I suppose there was another another case. We had a young lad who shot himself in the head. He was only twenty nine, and he'd shot himself in the head in Florida. Been suffering from depression for you know a long time took himself off to florida went to a gun range was there for two hours and then turned the gun on himself mm. and we were all kind of oh god what's he going to look like when he comes to us what you know are the family going to want to see him how are we going to deal with this and anyway he was what we would call pretty much intact right um a very very handsome young man um and he came to our funeral home in his coffin dressed he had his skinny jeans on He's really cool trainers, his hoodie, 
someone had put his um, Beats headphones on his head with his hood up. And every time I went in to see him in the chapel, I would actually stand there and say, you stupid boy, mm. why did you do that? You stupid boy. And that really got to me because it was so pointless and such a waste. And his family were torn apart. And, and that's what used to get to me. Mm. So what, what was most of your job then? Was it, it was it a dealing with the bodies? Um, like what, how would you sort of divide your time if you were to look over a normal week? Like what was the main bulk of what you were doing? So every single day was different. Um, some mornings I'd come in. So most of us worked alone. So sometimes there would just be myself in the funeral home with one other person who may be the funeral director or one other um, person doing the same job as me. And we'd come in in the morning, often someone would have been brought in overnight. So our first job would look at them, be to look at the mortuary log, see who was brought in. Uh, we'd go to the refrigerated unit, uh, check everybody in there, pull them out, check their condition, check their ID, uh, make sure we had who we thought we had. And then, um, from there, we would have families coming in to arrange funerals for those people. We would have doctors, GPs coming in to identify those bodies and do certain checks that have to be carried out when someone's cremated. So when someone's cremated now, two uh, independent doctors come and have to visually inspect the body before it's touched or anything is done with it. Right. Um, and that's since the Harold Shipman murders. So that's only for cremation. So we'd have doctors coming in and out. We'd have to pull bodies out, let the doctors have a look at them. So what was that uh, then? What was the, why was that brought in because of the Harold, Harold Shipman murders? What was that all about? So Harold Harold Shipman was the, the GP who was killing those of his elderly patients. Right, okay. Um, I'm not sure how many he killed, but he was killing lots. Right. Um, and so now when somebody dies... Um, who's going to be cremated. So if you die in a nursing home um, or at home and it's an expected death, two, and you're going to be cremated, two doctors will come to the funeral home to examine the body. Oh, okay. Um, so their normal GP will come and, someone who knows them, their normal GP will come and firstly identify them by looks if they can um, and check the body for pacemakers. Um, and then they will nominate a second independent doctor who will come and do the same. And they have to complete um, some cremation paperwork. Right. So that's not done for unexpected deaths. That, so that's done for expected deaths. So unexpected deaths um, are referred straight to the coroner. Oh, OK. So if um, if you die at home unexpectedly, the funeral home that has the contract with the coroner will be nominated to come and remove that body. That body will be taken to the local hospital and then the coroner will perform a post-mortem and report on it. And then the coroner will contact the funeral home and say, we've got this person for you. Uh, the family wants to use you. Can you come and collect them? Right. But until right. the coroner has given that go-ahead, you nothing can be done to those bodies. So we've had people that have died at home and um a doctor has been out and certified death at, at the site or a paramedic has certified death at, at the, the place of death they'll come to the funeral home uh, and then the coroner will ring and say don't touch that body 
I'm not happy with the circumstances around that death. Um, and then they'll arrange for someone to come and pick them up and the post-mortem will be carried out. Right. So, so that's why when bodies arrive with us, first off, they can't, they're not allowed to be touched. We're not allowed to do anything with them. They come in in the state they're in and they're left like that until the doctor's been or the coroner lets us know that it's okay to proceed. Why don't they go straight to the coroner then? Because expected deaths don't need to go to the coroner for investigation. Right. But I... sometimes, so so sometimes if someone dies at home and they've, I don't know, say they've got cancer, mm. they were expected to live another two years, but they died within six months. Mm. If the GP hasn't seen them for two weeks, then it should go to the coroner. Right. Sometimes the GP can speak to the coroner and say, look, I'm happy with the circumstances around this death. Um, are you OK for me to sign it off? And the coroner will say, yeah, that's fine. Basically, coroner is God. He's he has the word. What he says goes. Um, and it, if you're not sure, it will always be referred to the coroner. Oh, okay. And so if you die, but if you die in hospital, all of that paperwork is done in the mortuary in the hospital. So two doctors will examine again in the hospital mortuary, and that body will be released to us when that's been done. Right. Okay. So. Okay. It, it depends where you die, how you die, what you die of, the circumstances around your death. So the most of the bodies that would be brought into us overnight would be care home death. Mm. Um, so elderly people that have died in care homes, it's, you know, a, a natural cause of death or an expected death. Yeah. And um, um, were there any parts of the process or behind the scenes of funerals that you think... Uh, people should know about or there's certain aspects of it that were surprising to you or yeah like as you went along and you yeah. learned more and more like what what sort of stuff did you find out well I had a rough idea of what happened after my dad passed away I dated a funeral director for a little while okay <laughs> <laughs> so the funeral director that happened to do the funeral of my dad now read into that what you like <laughs> <laughs> I did date the funeral director for a little while. Probably something Freudian somewhere, but I'm not smart enough. Uh, Probably, yeah. (laughs) But so I did have a rough idea. And I say a rough idea. I mean, I never really delved too deeply, but I had a rough idea of what happened. But I think the most shocking thing for me was watching somebody be embalmed. So what is that? So embalming is a preservation treatment, basically, a hygienic preservation treatment. It's where all the fluids, uh, <laughs> everything that's inside your body basically yeah. is flushed out, including your blood, mm-hmm. and is replaced by chemicals, mm-hmm. which they don't preserve you indefinitely. They just slow down the natural processes that happen. Do you, do you but, have to have that when you die? No, you don't. No, you oh, don't. Okay. And depending what you die of, you can't have it in certain circumstances. Right. Um, and there's two very different processes involved. So if you have a post-mortem, and if you don't have a post-mortem, it's a very, very different procedure. So they will go into one of the main arteries, um, basically put a pump through you, pump out all your blood, and pump in all the chemicals through your circulatory system. So when you pump out the blood, they become completely pale? Or are they pale anyway? They're pretty pale anyway. <laughs> 
Is there like if an you're lucky, <laughs> if you're lucky, they're pale. Okay. <laughs> if there's just let's just say a normal body, not like too deformed one anyway or whatever. Do, when you take the yeah. blood out, is there any difference really, or is it looks pretty much the same? No, not really. No, okay. not really. And you know the surprising thing about this whole process? All of that fluid goes down the normal drain. Wow. I will never drink tap water again. <laughs> <laughs> I was so shocked. The lady that was doing it, she was this tiny little French girl. I mean, tiny. We had this huge lady on the slab. And she was like, she was incredible the way she was moving this lady. And I was just standing there like mouth open. I said to her, where's all that going? Went down the drain. <laughs> I beg your pardon, down the drain. She said, yeah, why? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, down the drain. Like it was the most normal thing. Yeah. There's no laws about it at all. So, wow. you know, anything infectious or just go down the drain. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, technically there's certain infections that you can't embalm a body so if somebody is infectious they've got sepsis for example or meningitis bacterial meningitis there's certain things that you know hepatitis lots of the bloodborne diseases you can't embalm somebody right but everything else wow you can, and it just goes down the drain so we've all been drinking blood so... our whole lives <laughs> not just blood daniel <laughs> yeah, oh, <geez. laughs> that's the least of your worries oh god <laughs> But so, yeah, uh, embalming of somebody who hasn't had a post-mortem is quite brutal, but not so brutal mm. because the circulatory system is still intact. So, you know, the, the chemicals can flow around the circulatory system. Obviously, when you've had a post-mortem, there is no circulatory system still intact. Um, your organs are in a plastic bag in your stomach cavity. Oh. So there is no... What, they put of, the organs back in? In a plastic bag? In a plastic bag, yeah. Oh. Including your brain. Wow. So the lady that we were embalming uh, had had a post-mortem. And I, I, I was absolutely shocked at what I was seeing. I, I, just, I just stood there with my mouth open, just, <laughs> just dumbstruck. There was this little tiny woman and she just opened up this huge like line of sutures down this lady's front, opened her up. Oh, here's the breastbone. Let's take that off. Put that on the table next to her. And I, I mean, that in itself is quite, wow. And then she pulled out this huge yellow bag. Like, What's that? Oh, that's all her innards and her brain. I was like, okay. <laughs> And she said, come here and have a look at this. So there I was with my head in this stomach cavity that was completely empty. It was just a rib cage and I could see the back of the spine. And she said, look up there. And I looked up what would have been her throat into an empty head. <laughs> just a skull. <laughs> I just remember thinking, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> just incredible, incredible yeah it's it yeah i mean it's brutal it's absolutely brutal so she has to find the end of every kind of major vein and artery so each of the arms is done separately she pulled the vein through from inside through the chest cavity connected her pump to the vein of her arm 
embalmed her arms, then did her legs, and then found veins in her head and did her head. And it was incredible. This lady went from green colour in places to pink. What, so the, the, the chemicals make you, they're like coloured or they make you coloured type thing? Yeah, so they make you look, give a lot more lifelike appearance. Right. So one, this lady, one of her ears was green and all kind of squashed up where she'd been lying on it. And it just kind of came back to life. It wow. just opened up and, and came pink again. Do you, do you only do that for, for open caskets? or? No, some people want it done anyway. It is more hygienic to have it done. Um, oh, okay. It's better for the people in our industry for it to be done, especially if there's a long wait between death and funeral. Um, so, like, but you don't have to have it done. What I'm quite interested in is I feel like you respect the people who are dead, which is quite, Absolutely. which is interesting. So, how do you sort of? What are your sort of thoughts around that? Because obviously, you know, like you say, they're dead. They don't know what's going on. Like, how do you? feel respect for these people if if you know they they don't know what's going on like what's what's the reason to be respectful of them in your in your opinion I think for me I I'm the kind of person that I don't really care what people think about me Mm. so I don't care if people want to stand in judgment of me the people I love and care about obviously I care what they think about me anybody Mm. else I don't care Mm. I don't I don't live my life for the praise or judgment of anybody else. Mm. Do, do you know, other than the people that I love and care about, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, you, more, you more live by your own values and you, know, if you can look yourself yeah. in the mirror, That more that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't look after and respect these people because I feel they are looking at me and judging me and praising me. Mm. I respect these people because it's the right thing to do. They were somebody. They had a purpose. They had a family. And it's the last thing I can do. Mm. But, uh, okay, this person doesn't know that, but I know that. So, you think, so I know that it's the right thing to do. So you think there's some aspects of when people have died of, of even though, you know, funerals themselves, you don't, believe you know need to happen and and the sort of traditional ways of doing things but you you do believe that it is right to treat a body with respect like it oh w- god it absolutely you know i know you're joking but like putting a body in the bin you know that you know there's you still feel that you need to treat the the body respectfully it's not a case of just absolutely. whatever anything goes no. Type thing. no 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 and you know i, I have seen some of that and it it's given me sleepless nights. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't bear to think that anything I've ever done or said was disrespectful. I remember once standing in a chapel with a colleague, and there was this little old man lying in there, and we were talking about him. And she said something, not anything about him, but she said something, and I laughed. And I remember thinking, oh my god, I laughed in front of this dead person. That's awful. Yeah, it felt really disrespectful to me mm. to, to laugh. I wasn't laughing about him or anything to do with him. She just said something and I chuckled. And I really had to stop myself and think, that, no, no, that's not right. Not that he knows or anyone knows or anyone's judging me. But for me, that felt very wrong. So why does that feel wrong? And what, why, does it, why do you think it's right I to treat know. a body it's, with respect? I, 
like I said, it's just, it's my morals and my ethics, I suppose. I don't, I don't do it for them. I do it for me. Mm. I don't necessarily do it for that person because that's not a person anymore. You know, I don't correlate that, that thing lying there. I don't mean to call it a thing, but you, you know what I mean? That, yeah. The remains of that person, I do not correlate with it being a person anymore. When you've seen what I've seen, that um, ceases to become human almost. And that sounds awful because I'm always mindful of the person that, that they were, but it isn't a person anymore. Mm. That, that sounds quite callous and quite cold, but no, I but don't mean it like that. It's interesting to me because it's sort of like there's a sort of conflict and uh, don't get me wrong yeah. i completely relate because yeah. i'm not religious i don't believe that you know there's an afterlife and that sort of thing but <clears throat> let's say you know i was alone with a dead body and no one mm. would ever find out if i just you know chucked it on the floor or slapped it in the face or you know it was just generally disrespectful to it so it's not yeah but i instinctually feel that i would have to be respectful to that let's say i don't know the person you know just a random yeah. person yeah. And, I, and it's weird, isn't it? Because, you know, everything you've been saying in the first, first, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, it, mm -hmm. it you know what I mean? From an outside perspective, it yeah, could sort no, of I go do. like, well, it doesn't really make sense then. You no. know, if no, if no one's watching you, the body doesn't know. It's, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it's a human thing. Maybe it's a sort of uh, recognition that this is another human being. And, yeah. and to to disrespect it, whether it's, alive or dead is to sort of deny them their humanity maybe yeah um, maybe i think i think for for some people it's maybe they do believe that they're not gone and that they are watching and and there's some form of judgment mm. so that prevents it mm. i don't i don't have that feeling i i always i think about my feelings and for me what i would feel if i did that Mm. I couldn't sleep in my bed if I had been disrespectful mm. to a body. And I certainly couldn't look a family in the eye afterwards. Mm. Absolutely not. I, and I, I have seen disrespect in the industry and I have had to face families and, you know, they don't know. And, and God, it's a blessing they don't know, but I know. Mm. And that's really difficult. That's really difficult. You know, I, I I struggled with that. So was that was that one of the worst the the worst yeah. aspects of the job? And that's what made me leave in the end. Right. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't be around that. I couldn't sleep at night. Mm. And not because of not because of judgment. It was because of me, my feelings. Mm. I I just I couldn't be around that. I couldn't be a part of that. When you start being like that in that job, you shouldn't be in that job anymore. And I can see how it happens over a long period of time. I, I can see how it happens. I'm not excusing it, but I can see how it happens. You do get very, um, I suppose, hardened mm. to it. Um, and I suppose I've seen a lot of complacency around it. But I would never allow that to happen. That, that I, I've told myself that will never happen to me. Do you, think, do you think you person. almost have to have to see it? Like, I know this is sort of going against what you said, but do you think you yeah, almost I have suppose. to see it as more than a body? Do you think you almost, 
you know, the people that treat it with no respect and, and um, I don't know if you want to give any examples of when it, a body's been disrespected, but do you think what sets you apart is that it's not it's not just a body, it's not just a, a piece of meat? Do you, do you think you have to see it as think, more than that? I think most of the disrespect I've seen has been from people who will never meet the family. Right. So people who are back of office who will never have to see those families, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to just look on it. It's just a job and it's just an object. It's just garbage disposal, really, isn't it? It's just a form of disposal. You're disposing of remains that are not required anymore. Mm. And, and it's easy to think like that when you are not seeing the grief behind that death. When you're not seeing the people, you know, I will sit with a family and arrange a funeral and I will hear their life story. Mm. And that's maybe what it is. Maybe that's the difference. Yeah. And, what... and I've, you know, we've had bodies come in and they are just a body. And then I'll sit with the family and they'll tell me about that person. And then the next time I see that person, I think, God, you were amazing, weren't you? Mm. Do you know, you did this and that in your life. You're incredible. And and that's kind of maybe that's the difference. Yeah, and I think for me that sounds like you're seeing seeing it as more than a body. You know, you're seeing it as memories. You're seeing it as a person yeah. who's lived a life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and then I do have the times when I would open the fridge and there'll be four bodies in there, and I think to myself, "You're all the same now, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think yeah. it doesn't matter how much money you had, Fred, or how much money you had, Mildred. You're all the same now, and the same thing's going to happen to all, all four of you. No yeah. different, you know. Yeah. yeah. And what what were some of the the best parts of your job? What parts did really um, did you love about it? And the moments that you know made you want yeah. To stay? The families, the families that you're dealing with. I mean, I had a lady very early on in 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 my job come in. She'd lost her husband. She was absolutely devastated. They've been married for sixty years. You know, she was in a terrible state and just holding her hand throughout that whole journey. She didn't have a clue of how to arrange a funeral, what she needed to do, all the paperwork. You know, she just didn't have a clue. She was, wasn't even on this planet. She was, you know, distraught. Mm. And she would come in every day and just want to talk. And just, you know, she might go in the chapel and sit with her husband for a little while, but I honestly believe she came in to see me to talk, wow. to to chat and to have a cup of tea and you know, and we'd chat about everything. How's your day been? What have you been doing? And bloody bloody blah. And after the funeral, and she asked me to go on the funeral. I went on the funeral, and we don't often get to go on the funerals um, unless a family member asks you to go. And I went on this particular funeral, and she came in a little while later to pay her bill and to sort some things out. She grabbed my hand and she said to me, Suzanne, in all of that darkness, you were the light. Oh, wow. And I just, yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't care about the £9.44 an hour. Mm. <laughs> I'd do that for nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. just. And then another old man who'd lost his wife, a similar thing. And he had nobody. He'd lost his daughter 10 years before to a brain tumour, his only daughter. And he'd lost his wife and he had nobody. And again, I helped him and he'd come in every day and that was really difficult old men crying was really really difficult um there was something 
really quite horrible about a man crying, an older man crying. Mm. And I am a bit of a, a, a sucker for an old person. I do like old people. <laughs> mm. And he'd come in and cry and and it was awful. I just didn't know what to do, you know. What do you do? What do you say? And um, after his wife's funeral, he came in with this beautiful hand, professionally handmade cake for me that said thank you across the top of it. And and the people used to come back. You know, the little lady that said I was the light, she'd pop in probably once a fortnight just for a cup of tea. Wow. You know, nine, ten months after her husband had died, she'd just come in. Have you got a minute for a cup of tea? And I thought, of course I have. Um, you know, she'd sit and tell me how she's getting on. And, and you became sort of like a counsellor almost mm. for these people, like a little flock of bereaved that would come in and see you long after their, their loved one's funeral. Mm. It was a very strange job very strange job and do you, do you, think you know you'd to do go it again? from yeah i'd love to i love it i absolutely love it yeah definitely definitely i mean it's emotionally draining it's tiring it's hard work it's physical um you have to have a really strong stomach at times um and people are weird there's mm. no doubt about that um <laughs> And you see, you know, all walks of life and how all different people handle grief differently. Mm. Um, do you think you that, prefer to do the the more the people side of it? Like if you could do less. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that that was the bit that I really liked. That was the rewarding bit. Mm. That was the rewarding bit. Apart from when you have warring families and people banging their heads against the wall in grief. Mm. that's quite challenging that's challenging but yeah i i loved it i loved it but i mean yeah people are weird <laughs> they are weird people ask you to do such strange things very weird things but i have to say in the year that i was in that job i have not laughed like that in any other job really i mean proper belly laugh some days mm. and we're not laughing at people or being disrespectful but some things are just really funny yeah just really funny I, i'll tell you a quick story so we had a guy a local guy a young guy who 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 died in his 40s i think he'd lived life quite hard and fast but he was well known in the area and our funeral director knew him she used to go to school with him and um his family had brought several things in to put in the coffin and we have to document everything, put it all on the computer. Every single thing that comes in to go into a coffin with somebody has to be receipted, has, has to be documented. And then on the day of the funeral, the funeral director comes, checks everything in the coffin against the inventory on the computer. And then we say a few words and we close down the lid of the coffin and they, off they go on the hearse. So the funeral arrived this day and she said to me, oh, I've come to do so-and-so. She said, I'm going to go and do a personal effects check. And she goes with a, a second person to, to double check everything. So to check jewellery and anything else that might have been put in the coffin. And they were about to go. And it was around about the time of um, sport relief. Um, and she came flying out from the back. She said, I've got everything in there. She said, but the computer says red nose and there's no red nose in there. And I said, red nose? And she said, oh, it's so typical of him. She said, you know, he was such a joker. She said, I'm not at all surprised that he wanted to go out with a red nose on. And I remember thinking, I 
don't remember taking a red nose. You know, I took all the personal effects, yeah. put them all on the computer. I said, there was no red nose. She said, it doesn't matter. She said, I'll nip to the shop and get one. She said, you know, if it, if it was important to him, it was important to him, red yeah. nose. So she got halfway out of the door and I thought, oh, my God, it wasn't a red nose. It was a red rose and I've typed it in the computer, Ron. <laughs> So now I am shouting up the road, Twitter, come back, it's not a red nose, it's a red rose. <laughs> and she said, oh my God, we almost sent him out with a red nose on, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's things like that that just, you know, crack you up, just funny things that happen. Yeah. And that's a, a great idea of how to uh, how to go out, you know, if you go in a coffin as well, <laughs> you know, go out with a red nose on. <laughs> Going start with a red nose on. <laughs> And then we had another lady who, oh my God, her mom, she was like a really poor version of Joanna Lumley, this daughter that was left behind. She was really scatty. Like Joanna Lumley in Ab Fab, yeah, really yeah. scatty, really <laughs> nutty. And her mum was this tiny, tiny little lady in the coffin. She was obviously a really elegant lady in her time, you could tell, but she was really old. And uh, she was being cremated and the daughter came in and she said, oh, um, I've got mum's fur coat. Uh, she said, I've brought them in. Can you put them in the coffin with her? Well, these coats were enormous. I thought, there's no way they are going in that coffin with her and the lid going on. They are massive. So anyway, there we were shoehorning these coats in and like putting the lid down. She said to me, yeah, I really want mum to have her fur coats because um, I don't want her getting cold and you don't know what the weather's going to be like where she's going. And inside I'm thinking, she's being cremated. I don't think she's going to be cold. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, there are some funny, funny stories. Yeah. No, that's great. And I guess it's, I guess it's also like a a coping mechanism as well. You know, always you need to laugh and you need to keep that light mood, don't you? In that sort of job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So, um, yeah. So how would you, as a society, I mean, I don't know if it's a British thing. I know that other societies, you know, every sort of culture treats death slightly differently. Um, And I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, I've experienced some cultures that, in my opinion, in some ways uh, have a really healthy attitude to death. Um, Yeah. What what would you like to see happen, uh, like, in our culture, in our society, in the way we we approach death what how would you how what do you think would be a healthy approach than maybe the the one that we take now i don't know i think it needs to be brought out in the open mm. and whether that's done as taught as a subject in school because let's face it it happens to all of us mm. um we teach sex education we teach about birth why don't we teach about death mm. you know there doesn't have to be you know too much detail around it but it's not even discussed um you know I'm so open with my daughter I mean she hates it she hates the job I do Mm. but we um the company I worked for were very much into community spirit and last Christmas we had a switching on of the local Christmas lights and we had we opened up the funeral home in the evening and we had mince pies and tea and coffee and lots of people that had dealt with us came back and had you know a cup of tea with us and the mince pie and Hannah was having a friend's day over and and I said well we're going to do the light switch on do you want to come no I'm not coming I'm not coming in that place it stinks 
And I was like, look, you don't have to come inside. You can stand outside and help with the teas and coffee. So she's okay, okay, I'll come. So we, we, we go, her and her little friend. So my daughter's 15. So she said, I'm not going in. I'm going to stay outside. I was like, okay, so it starts raining. <laughs> so she said, oh, can we go inside? So I was like, well, you can, yeah. You know, we've got a front of office, you know, a reception area with, you know, rooms and stuff. So in they go and they're sitting inside and they're turning their nose up and mm, it smells in here. Mm. What's, what's behind that door? So I said, well, that's the chapels of rest. Mm. So what's in there then? So I thought, well, there's nobody in either of them at the moment, but that's where, you know, the open coffins would be and people will go and visit their loved ones in there. Mm. Can we have a look? And my boss was there and she's very much, let's get death out in the open. Let's not sweep it under the carpet. So I said, so can I take the girls into the chapel? So she said, yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. Do what you want. So I took them in the chapels and they were looking around and they were like, oh, right, okay. So, you know, that, that that's the chapels. And then on the other side of the corridor is the mortuary door. So she said, what's in there? So I said, well, that's the mortuary. Well, what happens in there? Well, that's where some bodies are prepped. That's where bodies are stored. That's where people in their coffins will lie and rest in there and, until they go into the chapels. Oh, right. Is there anyone in there? So... Well, yes, there's a, a draped coffin in there with somebody in there. But, you know, the coffin's draped in a sheet. There's nothing to see. And, yes, there's people in the refrigerated unit. Oh, right, OK. Mm, and they're standing there. So we finish up for the evening and my boss says, right, OK, we're going to go out the back through the mortuary. So um, the girls are like, what, what? I don't, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go in there. So she said, come on, there's nothing to see. You know, there's not, I wouldn't take you in there. It would be completely unethical for me to take you in there if there was anything to see. There's nothing to see. It's just the coffin with a sheet over it. You know, that's all there is. Oh, OK, then. So they walk through the mortuary and they're sort of eyeing up this coffin in the corner. And and then they sort of walk past the fridge. Oh, well, what's in there? So my boss said, well, there's some deceased in there. Can we have a look? So she went, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but they went from I'm not even stepping in the door yeah, yeah. to wanting to see a dead body in the space of half an hour yeah yeah and i think you know it, it's not anything to be afraid of and i say to my daughter the dead can't hurt you it's the living you need to be afraid of yeah 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 and, and, it, and, and so it's maybe we should have more of that i don't know that opportunity that that discussion around it yeah and it sort of ties in with your first experience going in as well you know this sort of like excitement and yet nervousness that's probably what yeah what your daughter felt as well it's it's this and I guess we would all have it you know the people that would judge or to say like oh you know I want to keep away from it I I bet in all of them deep down if they were to do the same steps as well by going walking in and they would have that even if they didn't voice it they'd have that same curiosity. curiosity yeah yeah it's that unknown not many people know what happens to you when you die. Yeah. And it, it is that unknown. You know what happens to you when you're born. You know what happens to you when you go into hospital and you have surgery and all the rest of it. But you don't really know what happens to you after you die. And I think people should know that's that's your person. That's your loved one. Why shouldn't mm. you know? Why wouldn't you want to know what's going to happen to them? And also it's, it's yeah, like you say, it's like a, it's an understanding of, of what death is. I, I just to do a quick story of this uh woman uh we stayed with in new zealand so me and emma we we went to different sort of uh farms around the country and we'd like volunteer and 
get our food and accommodation paid for or whatever but one woman had lost her husband only like a right. month only a month before we got there like it was i mean it may have oh been God, a yeah. bit more it might have been two months or but it was really recent and fresh yeah we, and we actually um she she mentioned it candidly like in messages back and forth when we were setting up going mm-hmm. there to stay for like a week a week and a half and we were like oh god no no like oh, sorry i didn't realize you know um and she was like no 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 it's fine and and um first of all she was very open about it she did the second time she talked about it and she did cry but which was amazing yeah. the fact that you know she'd known us a few days and she was able to talk about him and cry in front of us and stuff but yeah so there was that but also she described the funeral um right and it was a, a mix of uh sort of typical sort of western funeral and uh maori funeral so maori are like the indigenous population in new zealand and mm-hmm. basically um uh they there was a few things so you have the they did this whole ceremony of bringing the open casket to the house and they did all these songs and and they kept him in the house in an open casket for two days or something yeah i may be yeah. getting all the details wrong but this is no no, no that's is. that is common catholics do that oh really right, right. yeah yeah we've and, had that yeah and you're not i don't know if this is the same but you're not allowed to leave the body alone um, uh, I'm not so sure about Catholics do that, but yeah. So they, so they, they weren't allowed to leave the body alone. So it was never allowed to be in a room by itself. So she had to sleep with it in in the same room with her. Oh god. Um, but and and she she just talked it all through, and it just sounded really. And people would come and visit. You know, they come and visit and look yeah. at the body. And and uh, she said there was this moment when this very young child came in, and they were a little bit sort of, oh, we don't know what you know how they're going to react, and mm-hmm. and um. And she just went up to the body and she looked at it and, you know, this sort of curiosity. Too young to maybe really understand fully, you know, whereas Hannah can yeah. sort of picture all these nightmarish things, you know. Yeah. But she sort of looked at the body and, and, um, and like, touched the skin and sort of went, oh, oh, Uncle Bill or whatever his name is dead. And it's just this yeah. sort of, like, acceptance and, like, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And, and, and it just seemed and then they did a whole procession through the street and it was really lovely just a lovely whole ceremony to be honest but yeah there was just so much in there of you know the fact that she was talking to us about it the fact that the way these their tradition was going it it just seemed to have a really healthy aspect to it of just like well this relationship with death yeah and this person is dead i mean obviously you know sleeping with a dead body in your room for two nights some people would would say well that's horrible <laughs> but but there is a guess a sort but of what's hor- that that's what i don't understand what's horrible yeah yeah um... that's what i say to my daughter what's horrible what's disgusting mm. yeah i get that the smell is horrible and i you know i get the physical horribleness of it more than anyone but yeah it's weird isn't it why that's horrible why the idea of it is horrible maybe it's and too some many... people might not even know about the smell but yeah would still say it's horrible maybe it's too many horror films yeah. Yeah, my sister used to say to me, how do you sit in that place with 10 dead bodies? Are you not creeped out? I'm like, no, why am I creeped out? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> just laying there. What, what's that to be creeped out about? <laughs> oh, you're weird. You're weird. It's not weird. To be fair, what's though, weird about it? if there is a zombie apocalypse, you'll be the first to go because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they'll all come alive. Yeah. No, they'll all like me because I'm being nice to them. Because <laughs> I'm talking to them every day. <laughs> Oh, hello, Bill. You're looking very <laughs> handsome today. <laughs> Me 
Mildred, not so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, I think we'll probably wrap it up about there. Yeah, um, absolutely. But uh, yeah. So just before we go, Dan, what yeah. are your views on death and afterlife and funerals, just briefly? Um, yeah, if I was to say it briefly, like I sort of mentioned before, I, I, um, I, I'm not religious. Um, mm -hmm. so I sort of uh, feel the same as you. It's, it's, it's for the living, um, yeah. funerals and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really, I do, I feel like I'd have some feelings of how I'd want funeral to be. I quite like the idea of, uh, of, of being made into compost. Um, or, right, so, yeah. or some people are like, um, yeah, like you made the compost and then you put that compost around a tree, like a, a, a baby can, tree or something. You can become a mushroom suit, Dan. A what? Do you know that? A mushroom suit. A mushroom suit. <laughs> so they put you in this suit <laughs> and they grow mushrooms from you. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I like these sort of crazy <laughs> ideas. So this is what yeah I, I, li I like that. And I, I think, you know, this sort of idea of celebration, have a bit of fun with it and you know it, it doesn't have to be all this sort of you know black and white uh, you know a suit and you know all this sort of thing it, I'm, uh -huh. I'm, I'm quite a creative type anyway but i quite like the idea of just doing something a bit different you know and and yeah. uh, you know i like the idea of um you know and even not for me for for other people i know who who you know are into nature and stuff having a tree for them you know or, or whatever yeah. so i yeah i think in summation that's how i feel about it i feel that um I, I like the idea of doing something a bit different and making it sort of a a bit of a nice celebration and uh yeah um, hmm. that's sort of a, a summation really of what, what I have yeah to about it and stuff um, but if your family members mm. disagreed with that what would be more important to you their comfort or what you want um so say for instance your girlfriend or your mum wanted a huge you know something completely different right right what, or, or let's say they wanted a very traditional sort of thing yeah 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 um i think if it was that Are your wish is more important or their wishes i think if it was that important to them then then fair enough um i like to think that my family and friends are you know considerate enough to to actually respect my wishes but yeah i mean it, it i wouldn't i wouldn't want it to be a point of contention and the same you know if someone close to me died you know i'm sort of the same as you yeah. you know i mean that you know if dad died again touch wood you know it, it i wouldn't i i would bring ideas to the table i've got you know th you know memories or things that i might yeah. want to include but i wouldn't want it to get to a point where it ever became you know a point of contention and if if someone yeah, yeah. you know whether it was my mum or my girlfriend or whoever felt very yeah. strongly about i think i might have a bit more to say if it was going to be overtly religious um right okay just because it's not very much it's not me and i think yeah you do even though i wouldn't be there for it you know i would like the idea that people, it has to be about you yeah yeah, it, yeah it's sort of it, people want to remember me as me not not as someone who was super religious and believed i was going to be spending my time with jesus after death and so yeah as long as it wasn't too far from from me um yeah i, I wouldn't mind too much but 
Yeah. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Are, are you sort of the same? It sort of seems like you're probably. No, I couldn't care less. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, am I? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> <care>. <laughs> I really, and that that's where yeah that's where I struggle. Yeah. Because I to me I don't care. I'm, yeah. Do what you want. I'm not going to know. Well, it makes Whatever it easier. Makes it easier. Yeah, absolutely. It? Whatever you want. But I am going to have another one bites the dust as my song. Nice, nice. <laughs> and a red nose on. Absolutely. <laughs> and a fur coat. <laughs> Can't be getting cold in that. Well, maybe, maybe you should wear sun cream if you're going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. Apparently, it gets quite hot in those uh, uh, cremations. It gets very hot, Daniel. I've seen it. I've been backstage at the creme. It's quite scary. <laughs> quite scary. <laughs> Scarily hot. <laughs> and you do only get your ashes, by the way. What do the you common mean? myth that you get everybody else's ashes in your urn afterwards is just a myth. Oh, I haven't You do that. only get your <laughs> okay. ashes. Oh, people always say, oh. Don't you get everyone else's ashes? He's been in there before. No, you only get yours. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You have to pay extra for a cocktail of ashes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. All right. Oh, well, it's um, been good talking to you. Yeah. No, it really has. And and like you say, it's a really important subject. And I think what I, I would hope to see from societies is, and I guess my story was hinting towards it, but just people just talking about it more, it not becoming you know, so separate. So, and, and like, it's like any taboo subject, really, you know, it's, it's the more that you talk about it, the more that people accept it and understand it's a part the of easier life. easier it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of those yeah. brawls and arguments that, you know, you're talking about, I think they can be yeah. dissipated if people have a more understanding earlier on. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 Good. Cool. All right. Well. Okay. Uh, a mushroom suit it is for you then. Yes. Dan. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> remember that. I must write that down. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well. Thank you so much, Suzanne. You're welcome. Speak to you soon. <laughs>